Good day, everyone, and welcome to this week's Global Intelligence Update. We've got a special guest, as always, Brad Shorkin. And just to give you guys a little bit of uh, background of Brad, who he is, if you haven't uh, Googled him or haven't seen him on the net, uh, Brad is a behavioral specialist and performance coach obsessed with helping businesses, leaders, and everyone who wakes up in the morning to go to work to better at the complicated job of being a human. Since 2025, he has worked with thousands of people around the world on how to better human at work and in turn, how to build and lead organizations that are awesome places for people to work at and deliver sustainable success in a world that has gone digital crazy. Brad's primary focus areas are leadership, organizational culture, innovation, strategy, and employee experience, all for humans by humans. I love that. He is, a, he is the published author of We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. That's just a, a short bio that I had to do, Brad. It was massive. So um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I just need to make a correction there. Uh, yeah, yeah. You might have misread. You said since 2025. If I'd been doing this oh. since 2025. I'd be the best futurist in the world. <laughs> I would be on yeah. top of the world as a futurist. So 2005. 2005. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Brad, uh, besides that, uh, that I've just uh, read out to everyone, is there any other stuff that we can that you can tell us about that we can't find on on Google if we search you? Um. Yeah. Look, I think uh, a good way to introduce is always. You know, we always default to our work, what we do, who we are. Uh, I am. A, I was an architect. That, that's always a, an interesting one for people. I, I built and ran a, an architectural practice. That's what I did after school. And um, spent about 16 years running around the world, designing cool buildings and cool spaces. Became an accidental leader. Uh, I'd say a reluctant leader. But hey, if you want to build a business, you're going to have to learn to lead. But that was in the days when um, the business, there were no business schools the way they are now. There wasn't that the biggest section of books in the bookstore and online wasn't about leadership and personal development. We had to kind of wing it and work it out. And um, But I got to a point after 16 years of, of doing that um, where I felt like I wanted a life of a bit more purpose, to be quite honest. And I exited the architecture, re-educated myself, started studying consciousness. And that's evolved into the most incredible journey into this whole space around humaning. Um, and I'm into my, I think my 19th year now in this space with a little overlap between the two careers. And um, the difference is with architecture, I kind of felt like I was done. Whereas here, I feel like I'm just warming up because people and neuro and brain and society and, and the complexities of the world. And so there's so much that we can get up to in this space. And it's, um, uh, it's a cool place to play because there are almost no rules until you start having a, a closer look. And I will probably, we'll probably touch on that today. So, yeah, I'm just a guy really trying to live my best life and trying to make a difference. That's the, the, the high level. Sure. That's quite a transition. Uh, how did you find yourself making such a significant change in terms of your career? Um, Chris, yeah, it's, uh, it's a question I get asked a lot. People are quite surprised because architecture is not something you just easily exit. You know, it's a, it's a career that, that it pulls you in. It becomes who you are. It becomes your identity. And um, the pull for me to do something more meaningful uh, in terms of making a difference 
was huge. I didn't know what it was going to look like. But I trusted, you know, it sounds very cliche, I trusted the process. And I think I continue to trust the process. That's the most important thing. I believe I'll be okay. I believe I can work it out. The letting go was the hard part because I had relationships. You know, my business partner is still, to this day, is still like my brother. He's my best friend. So there's a strong message for people who feel like they're stuck and they, they can't re-identify themselves. You can. Of course you can. But there is a, 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 a ripping that needs to happen. There's a strong letting go. And I think where the world is at right now, this is something that a, a lot of people are being confronted with. Mine was a deliberate wasn't a forced decision. It was a decision I arrived at, not because of circumstance. Um, but a lot of people are in, a, in a, a place right now where they need to let go. They need to let go of the way we used to do things or the things we used to do or who I've identified myself with. And it's hard because yeah. who am I? And then what do I do? Uh, and that's where trust. Uh, also, I had to re-educate myself. I had to re-relevance myself. I think that's a complexity that a lot of humans right now are faced with is we need to be relevancing ourselves consistency. And that's both mindset and method. It's about the way we think and the way we do and the what we do. So, uh, yeah, this happened for me almost 20 years ago, but it's fresh in terms of what it means for the world today. Yeah, I, I think that's very true what you said there. Um, transition is quite hard and to change, basically, it's, you know, you have to have the strong mindset to do it and to um, accomplish what you want to accomplish, your goals. So um, touching your, your better humaning, what, what does that mean? It's, um, so better human, better humaning is probably what I, what I speak about the most in my, my waking day and probably in my, in my dreams as well. Um, so my, my business is called Still Human. And the, the narrative around the business, and the business is, it's interesting because Still Human is almost 10 years old. Um, the book that you mentioned, We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck, hit the shelves in December of 2018. Now, what's interesting about that is on the front cover, it says, how to build businesses for human beings, uh, awesome businesses for human beings in a world that's gone digital crazy. And people think that this was a response to COVID. But it hit the shelves a year before COVID happened. December 2018, no one had heard of COVID. It was only in December 2019 that somebody was nibbling on a bat in Wuhan or whatever you believe. So this, yeah. this human digital tension has been unfolding for a very long time. It was just moving slowly. What COVID did was it accelerated our, uh, our need to, to respond as humans in a, in a, in a digital um, pandemic. And what that means when I say better humaning is we've largely forgotten how to engage with other human beings. Yes, being disconnected um, because of location was, was a consequence of, of, of COVID, but it goes way, way, way deeper than that. It goes to a, uh, a dynamic where we've almost lost the, the high capability of engagement, of switching other human beings on of growing other human beings, of building solid relationships, of creating trust. If we look at the relationships, and, and I obviously engage with a lot of people, and I look at the way people behave as their defaults, it's as the world has got more complex, because we definitely live in a much more complex world, the external forces on us, the, the social influences, the digital influences, social media, the nonsense that's going into our subconscious hard drive 
and then plays out in the way we think and behave, we all need to reformat our brains because we just don't have a purity of the way that we behave anymore. We are so complexly influenced. And that's what better humaning is all about. It's about working out. I'm creating an experience for every human being opposite me all day long. I'm creating the experience that they have, whether I'm leading them, whether I'm working alongside them, whether I'm contracting, whether I'm in relationship with them, and vice versa. They're all creating an experience for me. How do yeah. we accept the responsibility and do the personal development and the group development to be better at the way we create experiences for the people for whom we create experiences? And that's the essence of it. And out of that comes so many uh, benefits and you know just the longevity of relationships alone, never mind the impacts into business. But it's about the experience we create for other human beings and the intentionality behind it, better humaning. Well, wow. yeah, that's quite a, a fan, uh, fascinating concept. Um, that even as humans, we are not, we may have forgotten how to human. You know, uh, what was that meant, or what has that meant for business leaders, particularly with COVID having happened the way that it did? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that, that's for me is a is a very interesting question. I'd be very curious to hear as I'm sharing what's going on in the, you know, I watch, watch the facial expressions and body language of people on camera <laughs> as a duck off camera as well. Um, I'm curious as to, as, as you're hearing these things, what, what's going on in people's minds? What are you thinking? Mm. You know, when you think about, okay, hold on, I maybe need to dial up my humaning. Well, maybe the people that I engage with, um, we need to have a conversation about the quality of humaning in our teams, in our businesses, in our families, uh, parenting. It applies everywhere. Mm. But if we bring it back to your question, around business, business leaders, COVID. So we had a situation where we all saw something going on on the other side of the world. Uh, I, was in, I was in Mexico, in, in Tulum, when um, we heard about this COVID thing happening. And um, people made their ways back home and we watched and we saw horrific video footage of of, of what was going on in, in, depending where you are in the world, we were relating to something that was going on very far away. And it was just news. It was just something coming via the internet. Um, then we started seeing horror stories of it emerging in Europe and, and people dying in, you know, in apartments. And this is like watching a movie. And then suddenly I get a phone call that one of my friends, somebody I'm very close to, has got COVID and he's here in South Africa, which is where I am. And um, he had just got back from New York. So he was one of the first couple that brought it back in. And it's really interesting because he's a business leader and he runs a business with a lot of people. And he got really, really ill. And he was the first person that I started talking to about what does this mean? Because he was the one who said to me when, when we were moving towards a lockdown situation here, he said to me, Brad, this is not going to be a three-week thing. And I said, no, I agree with that. Because South Africa went into, our first was, we're going to all stay home for three weeks. Mm. Two and a half years later, we were all still at home. Yeah. Um, but the question I got asked by, by this guy, um, and he, he, it then followed, I was asked by hundreds of people, was what does this mean for how I lead? We're now locked down. We're at home. We're not going into our businesses. The human dynamic has changed. You're the better humaning guy. What does this mean for how I lead? What's the new leadership style? Yeah. Write a book on it. 
I got all of these messages and people did not enjoy my response. They did not enjoy my response. I said, I don't think that leading has changed. And they said, why can, how can you possibly say that? And I said, because if you were leading well before we all got separated and dislocated and hybrid and remote, if you were leading well, and by well, I mean you were intentional around the experience you were creating. You were creating clarity of expectation. People felt cared for. They felt a sense of belonging. They felt a sense of trust and psychological safety. They knew when they were doing well what that looked like. They knew what wasn't tolerated. You were doing all of these things, and you were doing it with compassion and kindness, but with an intention around high performance. What changed? Yeah. Same behavior. It's just people are not under your nose. Um, and they shouldn't have had to be under your nose either. So, but... If you weren't leading well, if you weren't doing all of those things, if you were micromanaging, if you were leaning over people's shoulders in the office space, and if you were measuring time spent as performance, time spent is not performance, it's participation. If you were doing all of those things, and now people were not under your nose, boy, oh boy, life just got hard. And what happened is leaders disappeared. They went invisible. At the same time, I was also conscious that leaders are people too. Leaders were trying to work out, what does this COVID dynamic mean for me? Well, me as a human being, never mind me as a leader. So a lot of people forgot, hey, it's all on the leaders, but leaders were dealing with their own stuff. So what's become very apparent is that there are undoubtedly good ways to lead and good characteristics that leaders need to demonstrate and that create that people can be, I talk about people being switched on and grown as opposed to switched off and depleted. Switched on and grown means that they are being uh, motivated, inspired. They understand what high performance looks like. They want to participate. They are energized. They feel like they belong. And grown means like they are getting smarter. They're working out how to do things they couldn't do before. And that builds the enthusiasm. The contrast is being switched off and depleted. Switched off, uninspired, demotivated, no trust. They don't feel like they belong. And depleted, they don't feel like they're being... Uh, access for their best intelligence. Energy goes out of it. So as a leader, the, the critical awareness becomes in which direction am I moving? Am I moving in the direction of switching people on and growing them? Am I moving in the direction of switching people off and depleting them? And with what frequency am I doing this? And with what intensity? This is a big conversation that's come out of this dynamic because leadership was really put under the spotlight. And that's kind of where this this human, human narrative has expanded because the theme human, I see the word human mentioned everywhere. I drive into client offices now because obviously we're back in space and human is everywhere. I drive into the business school and we human better is the big billboard. But then I challenge, well, what does that mean in terms of the way we behave? Because it's nice to tattoo things you know, on your arm. It's nice to have bumper stickers. It's nice to plaster things all over the website. But what does that look like in delivered behavior? What does that look like in the way we build culture? So um, it's a great story. And that's where my business narrative evolved from because Still Human over the past couple of years has, has taken the shape of build the story, lead the story, live the story. Anyone who's building a business, your business is a story. So we have to build that story. What is the narrative? What is the organizational DNA? How do you lead it? How do you live it? How do you own it? And I think that's become a much louder 
piece of content for anybody who's trying to build the business or a life in the construct of this better humaning. Wow. No, I love that, Brad. That was so informative and insightful. Uh, before I go to, to more questions, I've got um, the chat box lighting up here. Christina saying, this so resonates with me and how I currently feel. I regularly tell people that I prefer humans rather than dealing with a computer because when humans make mistakes, uh, when humans make mistakes or are having a meltdown, you can just give them a hug and all is better. <laughs> yeah. Christina, thank you for sharing. It's actually, I mean, it's this is that balancing act between uh, when do we when do we choose to human and with humans, and when do we go to the machines because machines do cool things. But um, I agree with you. It's uh, in the space of 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 relational construct. It's just the, the human thing has a place. I think our biggest challenge these days is when do we human and when do we machine? When do we human and when do we machine? I think that's the biggest challenge. And to really work that out. Uh, and that applies then also to the location complexity we're dealing with. When do we get together and adjourn as humans? And when do we not need to waste time sitting in traffic and um, you know, uh, uh, damaging the planet? And doing all those unnecessary things. That, that's the big question for me. Did we learn nothing during this time we've had? Did we not take the lessons? So I think it's a, it's a great point by Christina then. Yeah, and then I've, I've got another question here from Philippe. He asked, um, some people mentioned that COVID did feel like a trauma. Would you agree? And if so, what's the human approach to healing this? A good question. Yeah, so... The word, Philippe, thank you. It's uh, it definitely was a trauma. It was a different, I think a very important awareness is that it was experienced differently by everybody. And for some people, it was much more traumatic than others and for different reasons. If you were somebody who, let me just throw a couple of examples out. My, my business, I saw another question just above um, from Christina asked about uh, how did you go during the lockdowns? So these two tied to each other. Our, our business got killed in the early days. We went from projected projects three, four, five years into the future to zero because businesses, the big corporates, they can be um, inconsiderate of the nature of small business. But I think everybody panicked. And so my immediate experience and my business partners was like, wow, this is a problem that's experience one. On the flip side, I'm an introvert. I live alone at home. And for years, I had been trying to find space to just recover from decades of hard work, declutter my house, clear out. So I had this balanced experience of one, panicked about my business for a few minutes. And then I thought, well, let's reorganize. So I got into innovation mode and re-relevancy mode. But then I went into, oh, I have breathing space. I can just do some personal things because, well, the whole world is having to take a break in a way, <laughs> my experience. But then I watched other people. And again, this might be some of you. Uh, you know, we all had a different uh, situation. Some people had uh, bad relationships at home. If you were in a bad relationship, in a bad uh, home context, this suddenly got amplified because now you're stuck together in a difficult situation. And that can come with its own complexities. Then you can't go to work. Other people had, never mind losing their businesses, where you know, I could re-relevance and re-innovate, 
but other people lost their jobs. How do you find a new job in a world that's locked down? So, you know, Philip, there was a there was definitely trauma. Never mind the loss of human beings. People were dying. Everybody lost people. I lost a lot of people. Um, I have a very big network, and I was getting phone calls of people getting ill and, and passing on. And I think that it's very important that we simply stop and pause and appreciate that we've all been through something. We've all been through something. There were positives for some of us. There were negatives for some of us. There was a balance of the two for some of us. But we've all been through something. And I think that, and a trauma, without a doubt. I also think it's very important that we all stop and pause and think about, have I dealt with? And dealt with means different things to different people. It means just gone into an acceptance of some of what happened so that I can go, cool, that's what happened and I can move on. Have we, are we sitting in with the trauma still creating negative conditioning and, and, and kind of running our narrative? So it's quite important to just stop and pause and do some reflection. How am I coming out of this? Who am I? What have I learned from this experience I had? And have I healed from any trauma that I might have experienced because of it? So, um, yeah, I think, I think trauma is a very appropriate word. I think the important thing is you get variances of trauma. So it's important to see where am I and where, the, where are the people um, that I engage with as well. Uh, and then I also think that the most important part of going through trauma is looking for healing and then looking for direction forward. Because the fastest, most effective way as human beings is to be in action of positivity. It's the fastest way to shift negative uh, internal dialogue. It's the fastest way to shift uh, stress and anxiety is to be in action uh, and to create a whole different physiology and neurology but also to be asking for help. That's another important one. So many people don't ask for help. Human beings, part of being in relationship is the ability to ask for help, but also to offer help. That's another critical, critical aspect of this human in context. As leaders, we, um, I found that, obviously I'm doing a lot of research in this space the whole time. And let's take a flyer. Let's ask the, uh, uh, the folks here. I'm busy with the research around my, my next book, and it's about all of this. What do you think? And I've given some clues already. Uh, obviously, there are lots of leadership competencies and capabilities that are really important, and there's millions of great leadership frameworks. But what do you think is coming out or coming through from all of the conversations and the research that I'm doing at the moment are the two most important leadership capabilities in the world we live in right now? The two most important. And again, it's obviously subjective, but what do you think? Let's, let's experiment a little bit. Two most important leadership capabilities. Who wants to take a flyer at one or both? Yeah, let's see. You can pop it into chat if you want, or let's hear your voices. Any ideas? And there's no right or wrong here. This is just my current data gathering. Ah, Christina, being able to relate to others on a heart level, ability to listen deeply, flexibility, fantastic. What else, folks? Any other ideas? Yeah. Um, what about adapting? Adapting, for sure. Open-minded, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Any other thoughts, folks? 
Okay. So looks like that's it, yeah. Very much in the right direction. These these are critical in two simple words, care. And that goes to both of those, able to relate to others on a heart level, able to listen deeply. So care. If you think about it, as a leader, if you don't have care for the people that are in your charge, when you wake up in the morning, the most important thing that you should be thinking of is how, what is the experience my people are going to have today? When they leave, whether it's remote or in space, at the end of their day, how do they go home to the people that they love and care about? Or how do they go home to themselves? What has happened to them during the course of the day? What is the quality of the experience they had? Care is critical. And it has a very direct business output because remember, we're always about high performance and about winning. Nothing that I'll ever say to you, even though I'm all for the people, it's never at the price of delivery. Because a lot of people say, oh, but this feels like such a soft environment. People aren't going to play to win and we're never going to get the results and we're never going to be the best. I'm going, no, no, no. You're going to be even better because you're switching people on to be able to perform at such a high level. So nothing I say is at the expense of business delivery. So care is the first one because that determines how you make decisions about the people in your, in your environment. And it determines how they care back and how they deliver. And the second is clarity, which again, talks to communication, clarity. More and more people have shared with me that the thing that was most lacking after care during these years, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what good performance looked like. They didn't know when they were doing well what that looked like. They didn't know what the expectations of them were. They didn't know where they were expected to go or where the business was going. They didn't know what was acceptable and not acceptable. And when you don't know, what you do is you overcompensate and you go into anxiety, uncertainty and overcompensation, which means that all of your intellectual and emotional energy is consumed by the wrong things. Now you're exhausted, you're burnt out, but you're not delivering. So as leaders, probably the greatest gift you can give people is creating clarity, clarity. And a lot of people in the, in the corporate environment say to me, but I often don't get clarity from my leaders then your job is to get it. Your job is to find it. Your job is to create and build the skills. Communications mentioned there to develop your mechanisms for achieving clarity so that you can give clarity. Because if you can't give clarity, you're not leading. People floundering about in the dark. People, what do they perform into if they don't have clarity? And that message is coming through so loudly. So um, yeah, just oh, tossing that out there. Oh, that's awesome, Brad. And do you have any, um, uh, what's it called, sneakers or, or um, for when your book's coming out? Any hints? <laughs> you sound like a publisher. <laughs> so what I've learned is with the first one, once you put that date in, two things happen. Um, the pressure is on and the publisher starts to, there's a whole system that rolls into place which is good pressure, but um, there's, no, there's nowhere to hide. And I've been extremely busy with the other parts of my, my, my business and my speaking and the consulting around all of the stuff. And it's now time. So um, I would say it'll probably, because I now need to give the publisher a date. I would say could, we're probably going to commit to the end of the year and have it on the shelves early, early in the new year, but I'm going to try and move faster. 
Um, oh, wow. So that's, that's what's in mind because it's needed right now. It's uh, what what the book is is the first one. Um, the, the we are still human and work shouldn't suck was is because it's still being read widely, which is amazing. Um, like I said, it re-relevance itself when COVID happened because it's all about building businesses for human beings in a world that's gone digital crazy. But it focuses on the experience touch points, the critical uh, touch points of how we create experience for each other and how that then creates uh, what we call a company behaving awesomely and an environment of trust. And that's what gives you profitability, the ability to innovate, uh, your re-relevancing capability. It's in the war for talent. That's how you maintain your, 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 your humans, uh, your retention. But it wasn't written for leaders. The book was written for everybody who wakes up in the morning and goes to work to engage with other human beings. It's for everybody and for leaders. And what we did is because we know leaders are, are busy, we put a little, a little section in each of the sections is a little leader's lens. And it was, if you're a busy leader, read this. If this gets your attention, then read the whole section. Because again, we were trying to connect to the different ways that people learn because you have different learning styles. And uh, that's been really effective. This next book is much more for, for leaders and everybody else, but it's because of this leadership conundrum around this world that we live in. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get all of this stuff that we're learning down into. A, 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 I talk about it being, it's gotta be tangible. It's gotta be stickable. Uh, have sustainability. It's got to be doable, and it's got to be excitable. It's got to. People need yeah. to be enthusiastic to do these things. So tangibility, stickability, doability, and excitability, and that's a recipe for anything we do. People should understand it, be excited by it, be able to do it, and it should sustain. Yeah. Oh, cool. No, super excited for when that's coming out. Um, so to to jump back, Brad, on one of the previous questions I've asked. Uh, how can leaders and even employees get better, better at the experience that they create for other people? But more serious question. Yeah. So, Chris, I started, I started alluding to that in, in my, my, my previous commentary. I'll, let me clarify it. Because um, that's a really, a really powerful question. Um, what we were doing in the build-up to the book is we researched what the best organizations around the world to work at obsess about getting right in terms of the experience touch points, the way we human and the way we create experience for each other. And we were looking, uh, we spoke to hundreds of organizations, thousands of people. And the method we applied was we were looking for what are the five uh, most critical experience touch points that create an awesome experience. And, um, as we did the research and as we had more conversations, five became seven and seven became 12. And we built a model. Uh, and that, that's what the book is all about, is this construct, because we've demystified the way that you create experience in culture and made it much more simple. The biggest learning we had, though, was that, you know, if I give you a couple of examples, one of the experience touch points was meaningful communication. And communication has come up before. Meaningful, we added that word in. Another experience touch point was knowledge flow. Another experience touch point was ownership and accountability. Those are just three of the places that create the human experience or the touch points. What our biggest learning was is that you cannot look at these in isolation. 
Because if the meaningful communication in an organization is low in terms of the quality of the experience, it pulls down the knowledge flow. It pulls down the ownership and accountability. It pulls down the shared purpose. It pulls down the levels of care. If the experience people are having is high in the touch points, it raises up the experience in the others. So it is a system. We built it as a honeycomb structure because if you understand the cells of a honeycomb, they give strength, stability, and, and consistency to each other. But on their own, they fall down. And so that's why it's a honeycomb. And they're all pushing and putting on each other. So when you as a human being, as an employee, as a leader, as a team member, understand those experience touch points and understand how they affect each other, you are able to be much more intentional around how you create experience, how you build trust, and how you engage with other human beings. So that's the method that, um, that I recommend because it's all about experience again. Yeah, oh, awesome. I've got another question here from Philippe. How does one apply this better human when one is a consultant? Any practical tips you've got? I'm a consultant. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's, a good, it's a good provocation. When you are a consultant, and again, so you could view that in a couple of ways. Um, I view what I've been describing to you as and by by the way, for anybody who wants this tool, it's on my website. You can actually access this construct. It's on the website. Um, but I view building culture as a methodology around creating a better human experience. Organizational culture is about the way we do things around here, with the intention to create the conditions for success for human beings. As a consultant, my business model is very deliberate. I am an employee experience specialist who doesn't have employees. Um, I work with, with consultants and business partners and associates, and yet I'm very intentional around the culture of my business. And so Still Human has a narrative. We have an organizational DNA. We have a vision and a mission and a values construct. And we have an experience touchpoint model. Uh, Chris, that's the personal one. And then stillhuman.coza is where the model is at. Okay. I'll send that one too. Yeah, cool. So, Philippe, to your question, I view everybody that I engage with in my consulting context as being part of my business culture. So, I'm intentional around the way that I deliver on the experience touch points when I engage externally and I onboard people I deal with into it. And this is a, a new thinking of mine, actually. So I now share, I'm, and I'm busy building, and I'm happy to share it with every, anybody who wants it. As soon as it's finished, you can just drop me a message. I'm busy building my, um, this is who I am. This is what Still Human's about. And this is how we play when we play together. Um, so that we are intentional around better humaning as a, a way of having our shared culture. Because we are always in culture creation. Culture is happening either because of us or in spite of us. What do we choose? It's happening always. Do we choose because of us or in spite of us? And then if we choose because of us, it needs to be that we're doing it well, not badly. Um, so I onboard everybody that I, I deal with, that I do business with, that I engage with, that I consult with. I'm now actually building a formal process for doing that and making it fun. Because what I find is the way we create the conditions for our relationship is we have terms and conditions in our contract. 
T's and C's is a legal thing. It's heavy and it's important, but I want to have something light and fun and inviting and onboarding. And that's what I'm busy putting together so that we have an intentional way of better humaning collectively, because I want them to behave that way towards me as well. I want it to be reciprocal. And so I'm being very deliberate about that now. And I'm saying, this is how I do things. And let's have, let's have fun with this. Even though we do serious business, business can be serious fun. And that's why work shouldn't suck, hence the book. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, what you, we spoke about location. That makes a very big difference. But what mm -hmm. if we refer back to the impact of COVID and how we are now caught somewhere between a remote hybrid and an in-office uh, working environment? Now, how can a high performance be achieved with this um, complexity? Chris, this is, this is the, I mean, here and again, I'm not sure where everybody is, is based in the world and what your current situations are, but in South Africa particularly, and I, I work all over the world, um, but I'm finding that obviously the most in-space experience I'm having is here in South Africa. I got back from, from London last week uh, and I found it was different the way my clients are working there at the moment. But a lot of the big blue chip corporates in South Africa have now, uh, and I say a lot, not all, but a lot, have, have enforced that the people come back to the office five days a week. No more remote, no more hybrid. And the, the rationale behind that is, Culture happens in the room. Now, I'm, I'm very outspoken uh, against this. I don't agree. I think it's a, it's a ridiculous notion. I think that um, culture happens in between spaces. Culture is, uh, it, you'll see in our model, space is one of the 12 essentials. And space doesn't mean an office. I think that this is a failing, again, I've spoken about leadership a lot. I think the enforcement of people having to come back five days a week is because people, leaders, haven't realized that the need of human beings has changed, that their employees have changed. And I don't think they understand the impact that it has to have to travel, um, that lives have moved forward. We're now going backwards because people have reorganized the way that they live. Uh, and I think that the empathy is, is, is failing. So I, my strong message to leaders is that we should be working out how to build cultures how to, how to build, lead, and live a strong organizational culture that is not based on location, that has people connecting for purposeful connection in space, that has people getting very skilled at digital connection, very skilled, learn how to use the software, learn how to do innovation stuff, learn how to use boards and, and brainstorm and energize and learn how to do it. We need to get much better. What would happen, I say to leaders, if suddenly a new, a new strain of COVID um, flies through the world and it is so deadly that we dare not leave our houses, did we upskill enough in terms of our mindsets and our methods to be able to have a seamless transition with zero business interruption if that happens and we can't leave for those who've gone back to the office? And the answer is no. So I think that it's, uh, and, and then the, the other comment is leadership capability. Leaders need to learn how to do all those things I mentioned earlier, because all they're doing when they, when they say, come back to the office five days a week, is they're putting their hands up and going, I haven't bothered or worked out or learned how to lead you any differently to how I did three years ago. And so, because I choose not to grow, I'm going to force you to come back to where I can control you. And I do not think that's, that's the right way to go.
Wow. Um, then, then on that, um, Brad, what behaviors should we look at for that might block the required pro progress? Most of what I've already described, um, I think, are, are blocking behaviors. Yeah. And for me, the headline, the headline behavior is any moment where new thinking is being blocked, shut down, avoided, not considered, not given a voice, uh, I think is what we need to be very cautious of. I think that one of the most critical uh, additional behaviors alongside the care and the, um, uh, uh, what did I say earlier? I've lost my train of thinking, the care and the clarity. Um, is is also curiosity you know it, it almost has become cliched we must be curious but i think that um, we need to be more welcoming of other people's thinking than ever before and of our employees and i think that um, those leaders you know there's the old style command and control style leader who my way is the only way and i think more so now than ever before we need to catch ourselves and um, we need to be inviting everything as information we need to become critical thinkers, not criticizing, analyzing, analyzing. Awesome. And um, you mentioned culture. What should we be aware of in terms of how we create culture? I think the most important, well, there's so much and we could speak for the whole day, but one of the most important things for me around culture is um, that we need to be, culture needs to be true. You know, again, I've mentioned the organizational DNA. We create the values and they're on posters and on websites. And uh, we have our vision and our mission and our purpose. And that's the story. And it's very important to have an, a story. But then we need to live the story. How are those values demonstrated? How are those values uh, coming through in the way we lead? How are those values coming through in the way we create experience? Because otherwise, what do people believe? You know, if we've got all of the stuff and we've made it real, how do we live it? Otherwise, it's just words. So culture needs to be something that is believable and consistent. Because when it's believable and consistent, it has a brand, and people then know what, to, what they can trust and what they can expect. And that's where, again, the intellectual and the emotional energy goes into the right things. So you want to be creating a culture that's what we call, a, in my work, a company behaving awesomely. It's a culture to which the best people want to come. They do come. They choose to stay there. And while they're working there, they shoot the lights out. That's the type of culture you want to be working on. But in order to do that, you've got to be conscious of the type of experience you're creating and leading. Awesome. Um, then, Brad, I've got one more question for you. And then the, the listeners, you guys are more than welcome to put any questions in the chat box or even unmute yourself. I just want to get this last one out from Brad. Um, oh. Brad, so, so what about managing and leading uncertainty? I think that's quite a good one. So again, I mean, I, I spoke about the creating of certainty and a lot of people say to me, so how do I do that? And what's happened is that there's a lot of things that we now as leaders and as humans are not sure of. And a lot of what a lot of people were looking for during this COVID period was they wanted certainty that they're not going to lose their jobs. And leaders yeah. couldn't say that for sure. Leaders couldn't guarantee this necessarily. So what we developed was a method. And I use the analogy of if you are trying to cross a busy river, a rapid, 
and the water is flowing, the only way across it is to look for the rocks that you know you can stand on, the ones that you are sure are stable. So it's very important to look for what do you have in your operating environment, in your life, in your business, that you can be sure of, that you're pretty confident is what you think it is, and you can put your foot on it and it won't move. And so find as many of those as you can in the story you tell, in the way you engage, in the way you lead. That's certainty. Um, and finding what can you be sure of, because what that does is it just calms the environment. And then on the flip side, you have to also name the things that you need to be flexible about. What are the things you can't be so sure of? So you need to have some adaptability and agility around them. The, the model that we built, the, the essentials model that I spoke about, those 12 touch points of experience, those are rocks that you can put your feet on. We know for sure those are the things that create the human experience. So leverage them. Put your feet on those. The flexibility might be how you do it. We need to be flexible about how we communicate meaningfully, but we know meaningful communication is a solid rock. So that's kind of an easy way to start to balance flexibility and certainty. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Brad. Is there anything else you'd like to, to share before we head over to the Q&As? Um, look, I've said a lot. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> I think my, my message is, 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 is very clear. We're on a new learning curve. If you're a leader, if you're a colleague, if you're, if you're a human being, <laughs> we're on a learning curve. And we cannot be sitting back and expecting that things are the way they, they were before they're not. So we need to be adapting. And I don't regard adaptation as I've heard a lot of organizations, oh, we've completely adapted. I don't think jumping on and talking to each other on the screen is adaptation. I think it's forced adjustment. And I think it's really important to understand the difference between forced adjustment, we had no choice, versus real relevant adaptation, understanding where humans are at and responding to that. That's adaptation. So that's my invitation is be cautious that you're not stuck in forced adjustment versus adaptation. Oh, awesome. No, thanks, Brad. We've got a, a message here from Christina saying, thank you so much, Brad, for this fantastic Zoom meeting. It was enlightening and empowering to hear your thoughts and theories. P.S. I can still see here the architect in you. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> awesome. Is there any other questions that um, any of you guys would like to, to ask, get some clarity on? We've got Brad here, so... To make use of him. <laughs> Looks like I think I think we could talk for yeah. hours, but I don't think you can fit it all into a Zoom meeting. But it was uh, it certainly touched on lots of things that I'm experiencing within my own businesses, and um, that need to redefine what it means to be human is uh, I think something that we all get to to participate in as a global community. And it's a good thing. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. I love that as a global community. I mean, we are humanity. Yeah. We get That's to right. define what it means to be human as individuals and collectively. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you.
Awesome. Well, if there's no more questions, I just want to thank Brad for coming and, and being this week's Global Intelligence Update guest. We really appreciate it. And it was so insightful, I have to say. Thank you for sharing, Brad, your story. And um, guys, check him out. I've put the links on in the chat. And um, two, two links, to, to be honest. The, the personal one is, is Brad and then company still human, but goes up. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. And thank you, everyone, for joining in. We'll see you guys again next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining.